Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January 22nd, 2013. I always remind newcomers to the program to, to look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find lots of audios for free download where I go through the histories of the system you're born into and how uh, it's a very old, old system, an old, old plan of course, but it really came to fruition in the early 20th century, openly that is, under, under the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which decided to, to take over the world, use the British Empire as the embryonic system, which the U.S. would take over after them, and they'd share it together. And on top of the banking fraternities, of course, and they'd also own all of the resources, including your water and food and everything, not just the, the precious golds and diamonds, which went after right away, but everything you need to, to live on, basically, they would own. So help yourself to the histories and the people behind it, because it's still running today. The whole world government idea is their idea. The unified Europe is their idea. And uh, the unified Americas that's still coming in, is, is still getting pushed, is their idea too. Same with the APIC countries in the Far East. So it's all a big program you're looking through a script, including the wars that have to happen to take down countries that they say won't fit in the way they are at the moment. So they're all being standardized into the same system one way or the other. And remember too, you can get transcripts in English of the talks I've given and all the sites listed at cuttingthroughmatrix.com and you can print up and you can also go into alanwatchsentinel.eu for transcripts and other languages. And remember too, you bring me to you, you're the audience, bring me to you, don't bring advertisers on as guests. And... Um, and depend upon you, the listeners, to support me. So you can do so by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or donating. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office. And you can also send cash or use PayPal. Cross the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. But we truly are going into this world society, planned, as I say, an awful long time ago. And this institution was given a royal charter to exist, um, puts people into governments. In fact, they even claim from their own personal historian, from their American branch, Council on Foreign Relations, that, that they've run the country for a 100 years, putting in precedents in the U.S. and across the world, too, where they have their bases. They have them across the whole world now in every country. They even have the European Council on Foreign Relations, and George Soros was appointed as head of that one. So they run the world, and their whole idea was to bring in this global system and eventually get their private central banking systems all over the world, borrowing from the World Bank, and the IMF is the heavy guy who comes in to collect and tell governments what to do, and also they all come under the auspices ultimately of the Bank for International Settlements. Their own personal historian was Professor Carl Quigley. He documented that in his own book, The Anglo-American Establishment, worth getting a hold of. 
So you're living through a script, and everything is, happens on a big scale, like the wars that are going on uh, were planned by this group. Before they became the Royal Institute of International Affairs, they were called the Milner Group, Alfred Milner, Lord Alfred Milner, top uh, banker in London, uh, with a, a bunch of his cronies there. And he actually came from Germany uh, to run the system in, in Britain. And also, this, the, the offsprings of the families there, Curtis and a whole bunch of them, all worked towards Britain's world government. They wanted wars with Germany to knock them out of the game. Uh, they funded and helped promote the Soviet system come into existence. They, they, they funded Germany as well to come into existence in the Nazi era. And they had the wars going. They said that world wars would be inevitable uh, in order to get uh, this world to its knees to go under a global form of government and uh, an economic master. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. Remember the elite themselves are really worried because they're always projecting into the future. They're desperate to always know their own particular future and make sure that they run it because, or their offspring run it, because they claim that the rest of the public are using up all the natural resources. So there's a massive outcry for depopulation, of course. And when I was small in Britain, uh, it wasn't overpopulated then. And they had to work because they hadn't been sold out to the EU and they hadn't been sold out to shipping all their, their factories off to China through, through negotiations and treaties from the top. This is a world agenda, remember, for every country. And um, and so uh, they used to have, um, I think it was Margaret Thatcher came in, she said, we'll have to open the floodgates to, to immigration, she said, because people aren't having enough children to pay off the national debt. That was the con that she used there. But the fact was, too, that the, the British people were had been awfully good. In other words, they obeyed their masters and had their one point whatever, children per family, child per family, and they'd done what they were told. And so it's not good enough. You can't win, you understand, because there's a bigger agenda at work. And at that time, they used to show always uh, overpopulated places um, in Bangladesh or in India. They'd always show the same place in Calcutta with the masses of teeming people. And everyone thought, thank God it's not like that here. Uh, but the thing is, too, to get everyone involved and to believe in all this, they must bring in mass immigration to make it like that, to make it appear like that, you see, and to countries that, that really weren't meant to house them. So uh, massive things are happening, of course. And now the average person in Britain probably thinks it's overcrowded. and um, It's all our fault. Well, it's not our fault. You're doing what you want. And if you if you are decreasing your native population, why should you be put under by hordes coming in or told to come in by their governments uh, to partly to destroy what's left of the culture too because that was part of the agenda of the Royal of International Affairs destroying all the cultures and uh, then there'd be world peace when the one group would, would rule over the rest you see, one group would rule over the rest and that's pretty well happened but anyway, every so often they came out with their favourite front men who were always on television and every country has their favourite person who's given the job at Suzuki in Canada and it's uh, Attenborough in Britain to hype on about global warming, overpopulation, all that kind of stuff, all the PC stuff. 
But Sir David Attenborough's been gone for years. He started off again with nature and animals. He always loved people who liked animals, as you see. And children get raised up with them. And then they turn greenies, you see. That's the whole idea of it. But they have a different agenda. And so Sir David Attenborough has described mankind as a plague on the earth and issued a stark warning the world must limit population growth. This is to herald his new series on television on the Eden Channel. You know, I guess there's not many people in Eden. Anyway, it says, the 86-year-old presenter bleakly predicted that if humans don't curb burgeoning populations, well, who's the humans that are causing Who are, have got burgeoning populations? Because it's not the people. I've read the articles here from the United Nations themselves on Britain, Canada, the States, and elsewhere, where the native populations are, are, are being plummeted for years. It's the mass immigration that's causing it, and that's welcomed in by the governments. Anyway, Sir David is a patron of the Population Matters organization who calls for smaller, smaller family sizes. He's also, he's also a member of the, the Optimum Population Club. made his comments while speaking to the Radio Times about his latest series for the Eden Channel. And um, it says here that uh, the face and voice of natural history programs, his career spans 60 years. But David Attenborough said in a Radio Times interview he would not be replaced as a BBC nature frontman. Remember the BBC, I've read, I'm going to put that article up again tonight on the BBC, all the, all the money they spent getting the BBC on board with the whole greening depopulation agenda, too many people. They spent a lot of cash on that. That's why those who just disagreed with the BBC, who worked in the BBC on global warming, climate change, were all kicked out, like Bellamy, for instance. But it says, uh, the more you go on, the less you need people standing between the animal and camera waving their arms about, you said. It's cheaper to get someone in front of a camera describing animal behavior than actually, than actually showing you it, he says. So anyway, he says, either we limit population growth or the natural world will do it for us, and the natural world is doing it for us right now. I wonder on whose behalf, though, because obviously there's people uh, killing folk off, etc. So I'll put the two articles on him. I'll put them up. Tonight, uh, and going back, remember to this, this is this, the plague stuff. Uh, and Prince Philip in 1984 said this: humanity is reaching plague proportions. He says. Now he's a real expert, Prince Philip. You know, he's he's, he's been involved in so much uh, work all his life and, and studying and, and so on uh, down in the wine cellar, you know, at the Buckingham Palace. But it says, uh, conservationist and infamous patron of the Optimum Population Trust, David Atberg, recently said that humans as a species are a plague, it says, on the environment. He therefore proposed limits to human populations. It says, we are a plague on the earth, and it says it's coming home to roost over the next 50 years or so. It's not just climate change, it's sheer space, places to grow food for this enormous horde. Either we limit our population growth or the natural world will do it for us. The natural world is doing it for us right now. The plague comments by the famous BBC presenter literally echo statements by, made by His Royal Highness Prince, Prince Philip, who in 1984 bluntly pointed out that humanity is reaching plague proportions. But by stating humans are a plague, these environmentalists are saying that humanity equals a disease. It's very much like the Matrix movie where the agent, who's actually a, a computer program, talks to Morpheus and says, you're, you're a disease, you're a virus. That's what he calls them, humanity. And it says, a disease that may be cured by his antibiotic process, limiting population growth. If not, nature will do it for us. This belief is deeply embedded in a large part of the environmentalist and scientific community. Philip's son, the Prince of Wales, recently endorsed a report on population growth by the King and Queen, 
of neo-Malthusianism, Paul and Anne Ehrlich. They've been at this their whole life getting massive funding for, for, for hammering the population growth and so on. On the official website of the Prince of Wales, Prince Charles commented that Ehrlich's latest population study published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society on January the 8th of this year, calling, amongst other things, for globally provided backup abortions to avert population catastrophe. And the Prince writes, We do, in fact, have all the tools, assets and knowledge to avoid the collapse of which this report warns, but only if we act decisively now. Well, the last one, big population bomb, it was all BS. But it doesn't matter how much BS they turn out. They always bring out the same characters. It's awfully good at hyping up uh, the, 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 the fear and so on. And actually, if they do abortion on an IQ level, I think Prince Charles might be changing his mind there, because I don't think he'd be around. Anyway, it says, um, in the latest study entitled, Can a Collapse of Global Civilization Be Avoided? The biologist Paul Ehrlich and his wife repeat their decade-long mantra, namely that uh, global population growth is certain to collapse civilization as a whole and on a concerted global effort to reduce fertility. Now, you better understand they've been doing that. That's why folk are going sterile. Only a, a concentrated global effort to reduce fertility may avert the feared catastrophe. The report mentions that global population reduction is a monumental task, but they add... This is monumental but not impossible if the political will could be generated globally to give full rights, education and opportunities to women. They're always using that angle. And provide all sexually active human beings with modern contraception and backup abortion. The degree to which those steps would reduce fertility rates is controversial, but they're likely to be a win-win situation for societies. Since these words contain some drastic and draconian implications, in order to provide backup abortions to women on a global scale, a worldwide population reduction strategy must be outlined and then enforced by all nations of the planet. The Ehrlich's concede that such a worldwide effect would not go down well with nations opposing abortions. Obviously, there are huge cultural and institutional barriers to establishing such policies in some parts of the world. After all, there's not a single nation where women are truly treated as equal to men. They always use this, this nonsense. Remember, these guys were communists and still are. So this, actually, communism is a front for something much bigger, for those who haven't clued into it. Despite that, the population driver should not be ignored simply because limiting overconsumption can, at least in theory, be achieved more rapidly. The difficulties of changing demographic trajectories means that the problem should have been addressed sooner rather than later. And responding to countless recent studies showing that not overpopulation but underpopulation seems to be an increasing problem, especially in Europe, the Ehrlich state. Uh, the halting uh, population growth inevitably leads to changes in age structure. It's no excuse for bemoaning drops in fertility rates, as is common in European government circles. Reduction of population size in those over-consuming nations is a very positive trend. So, in other words, the native populations are going down and have no children. It's a positive trend. And bringing all the immigration, I guess, is, is, is a positive trend as well. And sensible planning can deal with the problems of population aging. Sensible planning can deal with the population aging. Eh? They also write that besides change in the politics of demography, the education system should also be join in the effort to symmetrical manner, moving towards sustainability, enhancing equity, including redistribution. This is of wealth again. The, the, you know, the scientific community must throw its weight behind the effort. There, like say, especially to counter all religious counter-argumentation and underlining the value of life. 
So in other words, they're doing the same thing that Julian Huxley uh, talked about and um, at UNICEF and, uh, and how they've, uh, he talked about that many, many years ago. I've read his articles on the air here. It's the same group actually ongoing and it's perpetual, well-funded by the big foundations that are the fronts to distribute the money uh, from the big international moneylenders. And it says here, global population reductions and global redistribution of wealth. These things cannot, can of course only be accomplished through a concerted global effort, or as the authors declare, an unprecedented level of international cooperation. It's the, right along the Marxian plank, which is re- redistribution of wealth, remember. They're, they've never changed their mantras. At the global level, the loose network of agreements and that now tied countries together developed in a relatively recent stage of cultural evolution since modern nation states appeared is utterly inadequate to grapple with the human predicament. So they want to strengthen global environmental governance. I told you that's to manage us all this environmental stuff. And you've got global governments already here, folks, if you don't know it. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system and the agenda, of course. There's many parts of the agenda and everyone gets massive publicity through the media, of course they own the media, you understand? It's only when you understand why it's all there in the media that you understand what they're trying to get through to you, to change your opinions on things. Most folk don't know what's been happening. Uh, They look up to Attenborough as some kind of god, they've grown up watching him on television and they believe everything he tells them is true. And it's so easy to see things as you see on television, like Calcutta's busy cities, and you'll say, oh my god, overpopulation is just terrible. They don't show you a good part of India where, where there's just hardly any people, if anybody at all. But uh, it's all tricks of the cameras and it's in perception. And you understand the whole world and all the financial ministers are on board with this big plan. The whole world's in a governmental system. And... Um, and sometimes they'll use other countries to voice something which you'll eventually be get you familiar with the idea. And then when your own guys see it in your own countries, you'll say, oh, well, I guess so. I guess it had to be that way. And this is from Japan. It says, let elderly people hurry up and die, says the Japanese minister. And it says, um, Taro Aso says he would refuse end-of-life care and we'll feel, would feel bad knowing treatment was paid for by the government, he says. So he says, let elderly people hurry up and die. Taro Aso, he's a top uh, politician in the government there. Taro, he referred to elderly patients who are no longer able to feed themselves as tube people. And Japan's new government is barely a month old, and already one of its most senior members has insulted tens of millions of voters by suggesting that the elderly are an unnecessary drain on the country's finances. It's almost like Obama talking about his granny at one time in his first term when he got in. He was hinting along that line too. Wouldn't it be easier to let them die, sort of thing, than to spend lots of money on them? We spend lots of money on wars. We spend lots of money on taking whole factories hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them out of countries and set them up in China. That's okay. The taxpayer pays for that. We can spend billions, if not trillions, paying off bankers that collapse the economies through con games and frauds. But you can't look after ourselves. Hmm. Anyway, it says... Taro Aso, the finance minister, naturally the finance minister, said Monday that the elderly should be allowed to hurry up and die to relieve pressure on the state to pay for their medical care. 
Heaven forbid if you're forced to live on when you want to die. I would wake up feeling increasingly bad knowing that treatment was all being paid for by the government, he said, during a meeting of the National Council on Social Security Reforms. The problem won't be solved unless you let them hurry up and die. ASO's comment are likely to cause offence in Japan, where almost a quarter of the 128 million population is aged over 60. The proportion is forecast to rise 40% over the next 50 years. The remarks are also an unwelcome distraction from the new Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe, strange name, Abe, whose first period as Japan's leader ended with the resignation after just a year in 2007, partly due to a string of gaffes by members of his cabinet. Rising welfare costs, particularly for the elderly, were behind the decision last year to double consumption sales tax to 10% over the next three years, a move ASO's Liberal Democratic Party supported. They're very liberal, eh? You understand what liberal means, folks. The 72-year-old who doubles as Deputy Prime Minister said he would refuse end-of-life care. I don't need that kind of care, he said, in comments quoted by local media, adding he had written a note instructing his family to deny him long life-prolonging medical treatment. To compound the insult, he referred to elderly patients who are no longer able to feed themselves as tube people. Uh, the Health and Welfare Ministry added was well aware that it costs several tens of millions of yens a month to treat a single person in the final stages of life. Uh, cost of sidekicking for the elderly is a major challenge for Japan's stretched social services. According to a report this week, the number of households receiving welfare, which include family members aged 65 or over, stood at more than 678,000, or about 40% of the total. The country is also tackling a rise in the number of people who die alone, most of whom are elderly. In 2010, 4.6 million elderly people lived alone, and the number who died at home soared 61% between 2003 and 2010, from 1,364 to 2,194, according to the Bureau of Social Welfare and Public Health, Tokyo. The government is planning to reduce welfare expenditure in its next budget due to the going to force in April with details of cuts expected within days. Asu has a propensity for verbal blunders. Later attempted to clarify his comments. He acknowledged his language had been inappropriate in a public forum and insisted he was talking only about his personal preference. And says it's not the first time. Asa, one of Japan's wealthiest politicians, has questioned the state's duty towards its largely elderly population. In 2008, while serving as Prime Minister, he described doddering pensioners as tax burdens who should take better care of their health. He says, I see people aged 67 or 60 at class reunions who dodder around and constantly going to the doctor. He said at a meeting of economists, why should I have to pay for people who just eat and drink and make no effort? I walk every day and do other things, but I'm paying more in taxes. He had already angered the country doctors by telling them they lack common sense and made a joke about Alzheimer's patients and pronounced penniless young men unfit for marriage. This is an odd statement, too, he made. In 2001, he said he wanted Japan to become the kind of successful country in which the richest Jews would want to live. Isn't that a bit odd? And he once likened an opposition party to the Nazis, praised Japan's colonial rule in Taiwan, and his foreign minister told U.S. diplomats they would never be trusted Middle East peace negotiations because they have blue eyes and blonde hair. I wonder what he really perhaps is behind that. I wonder what he really is behind all that. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, talking about the big system and all of the symptoms of the disease. You can never talk about the disease, but you can talk about the symptoms, the big fallout. And it's all a fallout, you understand? And it's all run by fear as well. And uh, lots of money go into these television programs like Attenborough's to terrify you. And uh, uh, lots and lots of cash come from foundations as well. The parallel government is called, officially, the parallel government is run by foundations all work together. And they fund hundreds and hundreds, thousands actually, of non-governmental organizations across the world. Because it's a big plan underway, you understand. And it's amazing, as I say, because over the last year and more, uh, over the years, I've I've read the statistics from the UN to do with the populations of Ireland and Scotland and England and so on, and different parts of Europe as it it plummets. And and most of the the, the births now, and, and some of them, in fact, are coming from straight immigration. So... It's quite interesting that you see you can't please the masters because then they just flood you with immigration, which also destroys the culture, not to help the immigrants, mind you, because they lose their cultures as well eventually down the roads and you end up being masters to this big brother government. That's the whole idea behind it all. And to, to eradicate the, more, the, more, the, the main enemy of this plan for years and years is to eradicate the native populations of Europe. And it says here in this article here too, uh, I'll put up tonight as well. All these articles I'll put up links to uh, cutting through This one is to do with, uh, this is the 19th of January 2013. The biggest ever Irish pro-life rally took place in Marion Square, Dublin. And over 30,000 people tell Edna Kenny of the Fin Gael to keep his pro-life promise. And um, I'll put that up tonight uh, to show you that they know, uh, they want to keep their people alive, their livestock alive, you might say, their history, their people because you are the end product of, of thousands and thousands have gone before you, generations of people. Why should you just toss it out the window? Because you're told to. And um, this also, article also has to do with, uh, it's interesting, very interesting, because Peter Hitchens is a, was a brother of Christopher Hitchens, and Christopher Hitchens really was communist, and he worked with the Nation newspaper too, and a secular humanist, etc., uh, his brother, who was, uh, uh, he was also uh, involved in, in newspapers, a journalist and so on, and, and some of the Cold War countries during the Cold War. And he mentioned in previous articles that uh, after the fall or, or, or merging, I'd call it, with, of communism with the West as it was designed to do, um, he said that the, the amount of um, unpleasantness in the countries with the way the people treated each other because they're completely, uh, really, utter atheistic people living for themselves. And the amount of, of robberies and so on was just skyrocketing because the, the love for their fellow man was just gone. And everything runs even still today on bribery in these countries. But here he is on what's happened to Britain as well, because he, he knows he knows there's been a war, a specific war, uh, by a certain people who had to destroy first the church, because the church also uh, was, was almost pro-life, you see, whatever Christian church it was. And it says, human rights are the state religion of Europe. It says, the, the, the unpleasant new country in which we are now trapped. 
unpleasant new country, and they've made, they're doing away with, it, with the nations and call them uh, just Europe. Right. It says these supposed rights have, have expelled and replaced Christianity. They have shrunk the human conscience and vastly increased the power of the state. That is why it was no use anyone going to the Strasbourg court to win back Christianity because uh, it lost its status as a dominant faith of Britain. It says the church has been humiliated and Britain no longer exists. What a statement to make. Britain no longer exists. Now, I also put that link last night with the woman in, in, who blurts out on the BBC that's like living in a foreign country because they're all feeling the pinch. They're all, and they're all paying for it too. This is true. You can now wear a cross while working for British Airways, but you have that freedom because you're now just another protected minority, which has no more rights or standing than other faiths such as atheism, Islam, Buddhism, Sikhism, or Hinduism. In fact, the Christian religion is worse off than all the others because it has to be constantly reminded that it has not the national religion in any more. This means regular slaps and humiliations of the kind handed out by occupying powers, nice term, occupying powers, to trouble some peoples not yet used to being subjugated. The most devastating of these was delivered two years ago by Lord Justice Laws, who personally humbled Lord Carey, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, before jeering at religious opinions as irrational. He intoned the precepts of any one religion, any belief system, cannot by force of the religious origins sound any louder in the general law than the precepts of any other. So I don't like this judgment, but it's a deadly accurate statement of the position. This country's official faith, as people are slowly discovering, is a code of ideas called equality and diversity, based on several European directives put into law in Britain, mainly through the Equality Act in 2010. The continued existence of a new, of a few rather wet bishops in the House of Lords and various other bubbles and trinkets and odd corners of the Constitution means nothing against the quality and diversity bulldozer enacted by Harriet Harman with the willing help of her Tory counterpart, Theresa May. Its demands are written into contracts of public employees and supported by the politically correct public sector unions. Private firms that do business with the state are roped in. So are, as we learned in recent years, the owners of small hotels and cafes, adoption agencies, housing associations and councils that have, that have prayers before they meet. It controls thought and speech in a new post-modern way. So it's all thought control and speech control. Today, liberal bigots don't uh, crudely threaten to throw people in prison for saying things they disapprove of or they do. Uh, uh, so that might result in protests even from the increasingly spineless people of this country. Instead, they menace our livelihoods. Speak out and you lose your job with little hope of ever getting another. This is totally big brother and totalitarian. This is, of course, tyrannical and brutal, but because it's not the Gestapo, the Stasi or the Gulag, we don't recognize it for what it is. And because it's done in the name of rights, uh, which sound reassuring and friendly, we do not realize that it is, in fact, a deep and shameful wrong. And so it grows worse each day. It says... Um, so it goes on and on, and um, it's quite worth reading this article, as I say. I'll put it up tonight, and and you can read it for yourself. But it's true, Britain is gone. Britain is gone. Lots of countries have gone. There's still more to go. And there's big pushes by big, powerful forces to do in what's left. You understand? So it can be ruled properly by those at the top, who actually have a certain kind of religion, you might say. Now, 
again, too, we're in perpetual war. I've read the article before from the U.S. military, and and it was it's actually called perpetual war, and um, it was also uh, total conflict and so on. But uh, that's what we're in now. It's a big, big agenda for for your whole lifetime to come. You're going to be living from one war to the next. And they're hyping it up. It's, it's like East Asia, West Asia, as Winston says. Who are we fighting today? As they keep changing their sights. And 1984, the book. Anyway, it says, uh, The UK is in a generational struggle against terror, says the Prime Minister of Britain. And it says, uh, it told MPs the UK needed an iron resolve to tackle the threat and put terrorism at the top of the G8's agenda under the UK's presidency. The Prime Minister said the threats of terrorism from Afghanistan and Pakistan had reduced, but North Africa was becoming a magnet for jihadists. Now, any excuse will do, and you wouldn't believe the wealth in the ground, the mineral wealth in the ground of North Africa. They do. They don't understand at the top. And never mind even the Congo, for God's sake, where they've been warring for years. There is one of the biggest reserves of uranium in the West, once all, for peanuts. Anyway, there's gold, there's all kinds of things here, very rich. And to tie in with this article too, I'll put a link up tonight to do with fragile states and ungoverned spaces. This was a CIA thing put out quite a few years back when Bush Jr. was in, in fact, he, his, the boys ran him, he was a front puppet man. Uh, talked about it too, the plan for revolutionary democracy, they'd call it at that time, where they were in any countries and forced democracy on the people by invading them. First you bomb them, then you shoot them apart and destroy their infrastructure, then you try and teach them democracy, supposedly. But again, now they're calling it fragile states and ungoverned spaces. It's a PDF I'll put up tonight too, and an article about it as well, because Obama's pushing on the same, the same kind of thing. But it ties in with this article here, and it says, um, it says the threat of terrorism is bad, etc. It says, concerns about the growing influence of Al-Qaeda. This Al-Qaeda is just like Goldstein in 1984. It's everywhere, right? In North Africa, have been heightened following the deployment of French troops to tackle militant groups linked to the network in Mali and the hostage crisis at an Algerian gas plant in which at least 40 foreign hostages died in a four-day siege. Remember, too, I'll put a link, another link to the fact that there's even Canadians, apparently, were some of these militants over there. I wonder if we're training them here. So you don't know who works for, for, for the uh, secret services and who doesn't anymore, you know. So Cameron told MPs that the murderous violence seen in Algeria required a strong security response and the UK would work right across the region, including Nigeria, Libya and Mali, to tackle the threats. So they wanted to do all these countries in, especially all the Muslim countries, have to be destroyed. And we'll hear one side of the story, which is all, they're all Al-Qaeda, they're all Al-Qaeda, radical Muslims and so on, etc., etc. And this article, even though we, you know, the West created what was Al-Qaeda, which is a loose network at the time. And, and now we've got years of children going to grow up losing their mums and dads. They're never going to forget this. And yeah, yeah, you will have terror forever. They knew this before they started. When there's no terror there, you've got to create it. <laughs> That's what you do. And so, so he says, the North African terrorist threat could last decades, he says. And three Britons are confirmed dead, and three more, I believe, have died after Algerian army stormed the site in Aminas on Saturday. Another UK resident is also thought to be dead. One victim has been named as 46-year-old Paul Thomas Morgan, 
And the UK Prime Minister said the incident was a stark mind of the terrorist threat in that part of the world and added, this is a global threat and it will require a global response. And you know, too, the big corporations, remember before, they even came out after Blair, I read on the air here from mainstream newspapers, when they said that all the big oil companies went to him many months before uh, they were going to invade Iraq and they all put in their bids for different oil fields. This is how they do it at the top. Well, they can do the same with all these companies I've just mentioned here. Also, of course, everybody's going on about the Texas shooting. Apparently, it was, it was some spiff between two fellas at, at the college campus in Houston and uh, at Lone Star College. It says North Harris Campus. It says three people have been shot at a college and, and so on. And it says, too, that one of them, that one person died with a heart attack. I don't know if it's an elderly person went by or what. And one person was arrested while a possible second gunman is being hunted by the police. And we don't know what the spat's about, we don't know what was going on, but uh, they haven't said much more since then. There seemed to be a, a, a duel between two different fellows that had something going, maybe gang leaders, who we just don't know. And Davos in Switzerland, with the big boys decide our fate, supposedly, because remember the Bank for International Settlements is there too. And that's to be the bit the kingpin for the world government. And this is business leaders see no growth there. More than half of the chief executives in a new surveys have predicted the global economy will continue on its current path of minimal growth in 2013. Then they go and give you percentages and all the rest of it in predictions. It says it's still an, un, an improvement from last year when 40% predicted a decline in the standard of living. Research came from interviews conducted with 1,330 chief executives in 68 countries. It was released at the start of the World Economic Forum in the Swiss ski resort of Davos, the WEF, which is the few, backwards is for the few. And this article, too, uh, is to do with, um, this is here, uh, the Daily Caller. It says, child por- pornography. And it says, the finding against the Assistant United States Attorney, AUSA, was made by the Justice Department Office of Inspector General. This is the Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley sent a letter to Attorney General Eric Holder Thursday requesting an explanation as to why the Justice Department declined to file charges against a federal prosecutor who's got child pornography found on his web computer. And it says, according to the Inspector General's report, the AUSA admitted to spending a significant amount of time each day viewing pornography at work. I guess they've got nothing much else to do there. The OIG conducted an investigation concerning allegations that the, U- the AUSA was using his government computer to view an inappropriate material on his government computer. Uh, the, the Grassley letter quoted from the, the report. The investigation determined that the AUSA routinely view, viewed adult c- content during official duty hours, and there was at least one image of child pornography recovered on the government computer. So they're looking into it and so on. But this, is, this stuff's going to disappear because in Britain they're already saying, well, what is inappropriate, what isn't inappropriate? Because they're getting some big wigs off with it right now. And so there'll be no, uh, there'll be no uh, legal implications eventually, very shortly in fact, for having whatever on your computer, any kind of child pornography. That's where they're going with it all. And I've read the articles here again. And... This article, too, it's good to be a climate alarmist because they pay an awful lot of money. Climate alarmist Michael Mann charges $10,000 speaker fee. Not bad, eh? It's this prominent global warming alarmist Michael Mann who often asserts that scientists who are skeptical of this global 
warming theories are motivated by making money, uh, charges $10,000 himself, plus expenses for speaking fees. Media trackers Florida has learned the revelation about man's exorbitant speaking fees comes as man prepares to give a global warming presentation at a taxpayer-funded Florida public college. Man will be speaking at, at Valencia College Thursday, January 17th at 1 p.m. He's got an agent, just like all do these days. They've got their own agents, just like, you know, entertainers. Man's agent is Jody Solomon, and he said in a phone call earlier this month that Man would charge $10,000 plus travel expenses to address a meeting of Florida air conditioning specialists. Ironically, Man publicly accuses scientists of making money off their skepticism of Man's alarmist global warming claims. For example, in a 2012 interview with Popular Science, Man accuses scientist Steve Milloy of being a valueless all-purpose denier for notorious industries who need a hired gun. Man presented no evidence of whether or how much money notorious industries allegedly give Mulroy. Man's speaking piece ever called the question his motives for championing global warming alarmism. Well, it's not hard to find out what his motives are, right? According to the American Spectator, Man research projects received nearly $6 million in grant money through the end of 2009. Not bad, eh? Public records show Man research projects additionally received nearly $1 million since 2010. He collects speaking fees in addition to his grant money, and he's a very busy public speaker who may be uh, making hundreds of thousands of dollars in annual speaking fees. So, it's the old, old story, you know, it's what's good for them is good for them. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, we're cutting through the matrix and we'll go to Joe from San Francisco, if you're still there. Are you there, Joe? Yeah, yeah, I am, Alan, can you hear me? Yep, I can, yep. Alan, I just wanted to thank you again uh, for keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you've mentioned the spring that goes on and the fact that you, you, you keep mentioning the year 1998 mm-hmm. as when the year when they really kick it in the gear. Yeah. Can you tell me what was it about that year or is there any kind of knowledge you have about that in the year where they they really kicked it in the gear? I'm I mm-hmm. asked because that was the year that I felt things starting to get really kind of weird. Yeah. It, it was very evident for those that looked up at all in 1998 and I walked out the house one day and literally I was like science fiction they weren't so high those aircraft as they are now and they were leaving massive trails they'd already crisscrossed the sky literally like a chessboard and I thought what is this is a war started or what and um, the only thing I could find out that they'd, they'd, that the countries involved that were getting sprayed suddenly all together, um, had signed the Open Skies Treaty. And I looked into the Open Skies Treaty, and it was very vague about airspace and so on, letting foreign planes come in and different things like that. And I couldn't find any other connection. But obviously, it had been planned a long, long, many years before, obviously, it had to be planned that way, for them all to start at the same time in Canada and the States and Britain and elsewhere. 
Uh, it had to be a, a, an international treaty of some sort. Remember, there are, there are treaties that the public are not allowed to get a hold of because we wouldn't like them, obviously, so they're kept secret. But everybody was on it, everybody was in on it. And as soon as it started spraying, I mean, people were getting very sick. Uh, sore throats, uh, bronchitis that wouldn't clear up. Um, some people get uh, cramps in their, in their legs and so on. Uh, even animals have been found to get that too. So uh, these heavy metals are damaging us. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, I, I, that's about the time I noticed. Uh, things just got weird. I didn't really notice the, the, the trails in the sky. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. and then I started getting really bad sinus infections. That's right. Yeah. That just wouldn't go away. Yeah. And, uh, at one point, I got really, really sick. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just thought that was really odd that uh, that you keep mentioning that year, the year that I met. I all things is getting kind of strange. In the yes. Media, uh, elsewhere. Thanks for calling. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. They did uh, start spraying heavily then. People get bronchitis, couldn't clear it up, antibiotics after antibiotics. And there's obviously statistics that they know about at the top in Canada and the States of who's dying with it, the elderly or whatever, but with uh, bronchial problems. And uh, and if you ask, even then the, the pharmacies were exploding with their sales of bronchodilators for bronchial problems and and cold formulas is exploding, and and they've still gone on. It's winter and summer doesn't matter now. That they're just downing the pills, and the, the pharmacists also know that they're the, the the antibiotics have skyrocketed then consumption because for bronchitic problems now. This is a time when few people smoke, and they can't blame factories because there's, there's hardly any left. But this is the this is the agenda, folks. And um, you understand we're living at the bottom level of reality. Even with all these articles I'm reading here, these are all the symptoms of the fallout in society. But you don't get into the big agenda at the top, because obviously you would not like it at all. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. By the way, it's, it's 30 below Fahrenheit right now, freezing here. It's with minus 35 centigrade or so. So much for global warming. Bye now.